Welcome to Creative FM, the Creative Leaders Podcast with Eva Gabrovich, where Eva speaks to designers, makers, and interesting brain workers from across the world to hear their stories and discuss creativity. If you're looking for inspiration to boost your own creative business, this podcast is your own supersonic aircraft. So take your seats and enjoy the trip through the fascinating secrets of success of outstanding creatives. Bon voyage. Welcome to the third edition of Creative FM, the brand new independent and free creative makers podcast. My name is Ivo Gapovic and in this podcast I speak to designers, makers and interesting brain workers from across the world to hear their stories and discuss creativity. As mentioned in the special introduction episode, I believe that creativity is about learning and constantly improving. So when I listened to the first two episodes again, where I talked to Jonathan Barnbrook and Debbie Millman respectively, I learned that I talk too much. So in order to improve, I will keep the intro as short as possible. This podcast is meant to be less about me and more about my guests and the creative stories they have to share. For the last time though, I'd like to point again to the mentioned introduction episode or the About section of the podcast's website creative.fm if you want to know more about the idea behind Creative FM or even more about me, Ivo Gapovic. So what can you expect from episode 3? This time I met Karen McManus, who is the Senior Director of Revenue Marketing at a company that provides design assets and technology that help create brands. Karen holds a bachelor's degree in English and a master's in journalism. Although being a single parent, she somehow manages to write young adult contemporary and fantasy fiction books in her spare time. As if this wasn't enough, her recent book, One of Us is Lying, became an instant New York Times and international bestseller. The book has been on the list for over 30 weeks already. One of Us is Lying is available in 35 territories worldwide. Editions published so far include the Netherlands, Romania, Norway, China, Japan, Czech Republic, Latin America and Sweden. It will be available in Germany on February 26, 2018. Last but not least, the book is currently being developed as a TV series. I have read it myself and... Although many would say I am not a young adult anymore, I liked it a lot. Hence, I had to find out about the secret of writing a bestseller in your free time. Stay tuned for more episodes via creative.fm and my Twitter account at Gabrovich. Take care and keep exercising your creative muscles. Without further ado, here's my interview with Karen McManus. Hi, Karen. Welcome to my podcast and thank you for taking the time. Thanks for having me. How are you today? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? 
Thanks. Great. The reason I'm asking is that uh, whenever I see you, you are smiling and seem to be in a good mood. It's quite contagious, to be honest. And I wonder, what's your secret? <laughs> um, you know, I think I just try to look on the positive side. Um, I think work in particular, sometimes you can get a little caught up in the details, but we're all here for the same thing. But before we talk about your career as a writer, I'd like to learn a bit more about your normal professional life. Sure. You are a senior director of revenue marketing in a company that, well, primarily sells digital assets for creative professionals. Can we? Yes, say that's right. And, uh, fun fact for our listeners is that we work in the same company. Therefore, I should know it myself, but I'm curious to hear from you. What is this job about? <laughs> it is a fair question. I mean, there's a lot of different marketing roles, um, you know, at this company and um, generally in the industry. Revenue marketing is specifically about kind of filling that top of the sales funnel. So we are very interested in helping generate leads for our sales team. And we do that a lot by coming up with interesting content that we think our audience would care about. Mm -hmm. And we put that out in the world in uh, different uh, channels and um, try and get people to interact with us. Mm -hmm. you, you talked about uh, different marketing roles uh, that can have so many different like flavors. How is revenue marketing different from other forms of marketing, such as like corporate or product marketing? Yeah, I mean, with corporate marketing, I think the end game is often awareness, brand recognition, brand consistency, you know, which are all very important. And that's kind of like ground cover for any other marketing work you want to do. Um, product marketing, it tends to be very focused on um, conceptualizing, presenting, um, and packaging the products that you sell. Um, and in revenue marketing, we really are more about, okay, how can we bring the, the right people into our universe and get them engaged with us so that we can figure out whether or not there's somebody that our sales team could potentially sell to? Because, you know, when people are making a buying decision, something like 75% of their decisions are made by their own research. You know, so they're out there looking for content. They're going to your website. They're going to places that they trust. And they're learning about things that are important to their job. And you want to be out there as a company putting out thought leadership and best practices so that when they're ready to make a buying decision, you're on their radar. And it's not a cold discussion with the sales team. Mm -hmm. And to, to illustrate your particular job a little bit more, can you share a project you've been involved in that you are particularly proud of, maybe? Sure. You know, um, a lot of what we do is um, events-based. So we, this past year, have been to um, at least 10 different events that we uh, either sponsor or we own, um, and that means we create the entire thing. And so one of those events was um, was a event in London where we had a fantastic event at the Tate Museum, and we uh, invited customers and prospects to come and hear about our new integrated solutions, and it was just really a terrific evening. We had great speakers. The audience really enjoyed hearing what they had to say, beautiful location. And then, you know, at the end of it, we had some great new relationships for our sales team. Mm -hmm. What uh, role plays creativity for you as a marketing and communications professional? Uh, it's why I like to do it. You know, <laughs> I think with marketing, um, 
you can test a lot of things. There's never any one way to do anything. Um, you know, as long as you know what your objective is and what you're trying to achieve, there's lots of different ways to get there. So that to me is the fun thing. Um, it's, it's not set in stone and every day is different. And, um, you know, if something works and you want to replicate it, great. Um, if it doesn't, you try something new. Have you been creative today already? Um, I've been in meetings most of today, to be honest. So <laughs> some days are not as creative as others. <laughs> I'm assuming you weren't always a senior revenue marketing director. Uh, how did your career path look like before you became what you are today? Yeah, um, I've actually been in revenue marketing for a fair amount of time. My previous job was also in this area. Um, but before that, I worked um, in PR. So I did that for many years. Um, and I actually have uh, my graduate degree in journalism, which I have never used professionally. <laughs> but it's a good degree to help you think critically, um, you know, to help you communicate and, um, and to write well. So mm. that was helpful. Okay. Um, have you ever followed somewhat like a career plan? And you said uh, that you studied journalism, uh, which is a rather unusual background for marketing, at least from my perspective. And when you were still a student, was it clear for you that you would later move into a marketing role? No, not clear at all. Um, I had no career plan, basically. It's been a long stream of doing things and figuring out what I liked and didn't like and mm -hmm. then moving on. So I was an English major, undergrad. And then my first job was advertising. It turned out I didn't like that. Mm -hmm. um, and then I started doing more general communications, and I liked that. And I moved into PR, and I thought, well, this is okay, but I don't love it. And that's when I got the journalism degree because I thought I might move into journalism. Turns out I didn't like that. <laughs> but I did like, at the time, I was moving into more of a marketing role with my company, and I liked that. Mm -hmm. So then when I had the chance to leave an agency and, and be in-house marketing for a corporation, that was my next move. And that's where I've been for a while now. That's mm -hmm. been the best fit for me. Okay. And uh, now with uh, those years of experience as a marketing pro, Is there any particular piece of advice you could give to people who are considering to become uh, marketing people themselves? Yeah, I mean, there are just so many ways you could go, you know, depending on what you like and what you enjoy doing. I think people who like revenue marketing are very qualitative people. You know, they're kind of data driven and um, they like results. They like bottom line things. Mm -hmm. um, maybe if you are somebody who's very visual, um, you might be happier on the branding side. Um, you know, there's, there's lots of different avenues you can choose. So I think especially for a young person in school or someone exploring, having an internship and getting exposed to different departments can be really helpful. Mm -hmm. uh, being a marketing guy myself, uh, I, I'd like to add also my own two cents, if you don't mm -hmm. mind. Uh, I believe you will be a better marketing person if you can somehow manage to like the product you are selling. Yes. <laughs> um, I personally could probably not work for fridges or baseball merchandising because <laughs> I'm not at all interested in these right. things. So. You don't have to love the product, but the more you do, the better, of course. And another thing is that um, every marketing professional should think like a customer. So talk to them over and over and listen. Yeah. And both might sound like like platitudes, uh, but uh, believe it or not, from from my experience, it is hard to find marketing people that bring these characteristics. 
Uh, would you agree to that or is this just one of those differences between the US and Europe or maybe just my, my individual experience? No, I, I would agree with that. You know, I think um, I agree that you have to enjoy what you're what you're ultimately marketing or it's going to fall flat. I mean, you can, you know, you can do a decent job at it, but it's hard if you don't have the passion. Um, and I do think a, a lot of marketers and I think, you know, just people in general get very, um, you know, inwardly focused and, and they're pushing things out that, you know, are good for the company. And they're not always taking that step back and thinking, does anybody actually want this? <laughs> you know, how are they going to use it? You know, is this the best thing it can be? Um, and, and that's, you know, something I've come across often in my career as well. And if you, when you hire marketing people, do you have a good sense of these? Of if people bring these characteristics? Yeah, I, I, you can tell, you mm -hmm. know, you can really tell who is passionate and excited about what they've done in the past mm -hmm. or about your company. You know, I think in particular with a company like ours, which is a somewhat a niche industry, mm -hmm. you know, you have people who show up and they've clearly done no research. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't honestly know much about the company. They don't mm -hmm. really understand your product. And then you have people who come in and they're like, they've got examples of things that they like, or they say, you know, I saw you did this mm -hmm. and I was wondering if you thought about that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're engaged yeah. and interested. And that is such a clear line between somebody who's going to be that way on the job. Mm -hmm. You have some experience working with people outside your own U.S. American culture, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, can you identify some professional differences that, let's say, drive you nuts? <laughs> drive me nuts. That's, uh, I can share some too. But yeah, I, I would be interested to know what drives you nuts. Um, what drives me nuts about you guys here <laughs> is uh, most of you uh, are avoiding conflict. That uh, is very true. Being a German, we like to have conflicts and solve these things. Mm -hmm. so. Is there anything that you can think of in the other direction? Well, you know, it, it, that's probably if, if you reverse it, you know, I think sometimes um, when you're not used to people being direct, mm -hmm. you think they're mad at you, you know? <laughs> <laughs> or they really dislike your work and they're really just trying to, you know, cut through the clutter. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, communication styles can be a little bit different. Um, but for the most part, I, you know, I really enjoy working in uh, an environment like that, you mm -hmm. know, and I like um, getting a new perspective on things so that we don't get too, again, inwardly focused. Mm -hmm. and, and to to talk about some positive things, is there anything that you really like about your colleagues abroad uh, that you don't find among your fellow Americans? Um I don't know if this is just the particular office. Um, many of my UK colleagues are hilarious and very <laughs> irreverent, <laughs> and I really enjoy that. Mm -hmm. And I actually have come to greatly appreciate the German directness, mm -hmm. um, you know, especially with the sales leadership. Um, it's just a really productive and efficient and fast conversation. <laughs> so I like that. So what I like about you is uh, not always, I must admit, but the, the think big approach mm -hmm. is uh, that what I think Europeans or maybe especially Germans often don't have. Um, kind of getting like narrowly focused on the task at hand. Yeah, but yeah. also, you know, setting very ambitious goals, sometimes yes. too ambitious, right. but I think... <laughs> Somewhere in the middle uh, probably lies the truth. From my yeah, there is a there is a think big sort of um, mm -hmm. environment we have. So coming to your book, this spring you released your first book called One of Us is Lying. Yes. Honestly, 
weren't you busy enough with your regular job? <laughs> What know, drove right? you to spend your spare time writing a book? <laughs> That is a, a very good question. I, um, you know, I, I hadn't thought about being a writer um, since I was a kid. It was a thing I liked to do when I was a kid. And then I thought, well, I'm, you know, an adult now. I'm not going to do that anymore. Um, and it was really, you know, I had read a book um, in the young adult genre, and it really just sort of stuck in my head. Um, and then I saw the movie for that book, and it stayed stuck in my head. And I thought, I'm just going to try to write something like that that might be fun. And that was, I guess, about three years ago. And it was fun. It was also a terrible book. Mm -hmm. um, but it was sort of got me back into the swing of mm -hmm. that whole creative side that I really hadn't tapped into for a while. Mm -hmm. And it also um, got me connected with a writing community, mm -hmm. which was really fun and um, really engaging. It was sort of like, oh, my people, you know, I, mm -hmm. I really related to mm -hmm. other writers. So I made friends, I kept writing, I wrote a second book. It also wasn't great, but um, it was it was an enjoyable hobby that mm -hmm. I kept thinking, you know, I'm getting better at this. I wonder if maybe... I could make something out of it. And then my third idea was One of Us is Lying. And that, you know, that was the book as it turned out. Mm -hmm. So this was... Uh, so it was a hobby that turned into a side business. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, for those who haven't heard about your book before, how would you describe uh, the story? I call it The Breakfast Club with Murder. Mm -hmm. <laughs> It's my elevator pitch. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, just one uh, level. Yeah, that's all we need. Um, what happens is, it, it, and it is, it, it was inspired by the Breakfast Club. So what I have is five students, all from different social groups, going into detention, um, and one of them dies. Mm -hmm. And he was the creator of a notorious gossip app at the school, and he was about to spill secrets on all the other four students. Mm -hmm. So, And they were life-changing secrets. So when the investigators realize it wasn't an accident, these four become suspects mm -hmm. and they have to solve the mystery of what actually happened to Simon. Um, one of our, our colleagues told me, with a huge amount of excitement, by the way, that she was so excited to see that Karen, the writer, was such a different persona than Karen, the marketing director. <laughs> what do you think did she mean? And, and what other kinds of feedback did you receive from your colleagues? Oh, that's interesting. I would love to know what she means, actually. Um, you know, somebody told me it was really interesting to know how twisted you know, my brain is. I was like, you're welcome. Um, most people who have read it, um, really, told, at least they've told me that they enjoyed it, you know, and um, that they were surprised at just that this was something that I did and also that they, you know, read it as quickly as they did and that they, you know, were surprised by certain plot twists or what have you as they were. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I think everybody has like their business persona and it's definitely like who you are, you know, it's not like you're faking it, but there's a whole other side to mm -hmm. everybody. And, you know, my side likes to make up stories and you put that out there for the world and it's sort of like, you know, laying your brain out and people are kind of like, huh, okay, that's what's in there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, um, Coming to my really big question, because uh, I'm also struggling with it. I'm working on this little podcast project here yeah. now. Uh, I wonder how do you manage to write in addition to your regular, assumingly already time-consuming job? Yeah, it's a time-consuming job. And I'm also a single parent, you mm -hmm. know, so I have that going on as well. Um, I write at, 
you know, in the margins of life, I write like nine o'clock at night until one in the morning. Um, and I sleep, you know, five and a half hours a night. Sometimes, um, I write on weekends, you know, I'll be like that mom in the hockey stands with my laptop, like, Oh, great job, honey. But I'm, you know, half watching and half writing. And so I just make the time. I mean, I think you, you have to love it to be willing to make the time. I, I don't watch television. You know, I don't see friends as much as I would like to. My house is a mess. Um, there's lots of things I don't do so that I can do this. Okay. Okay. And uh, is this like when you say uh, every night, uh, is this then every night during the Not always. It kind of depends on what I'm working on. Like at the moment, because I'm drafting my second book, it's every night, you mm -hmm. know, so every night I sit down, even if I don't feel like super inspired, you know, I force myself mm -hmm. to write something and then usually it starts to flow a little bit. Um, but sometimes if I'm between projects or I'm revising, um, then no, it's not every night, mm -hmm. but, uh, but it's, it's never been more, uh, more than a week that I don't write something. Mm -hmm. And uh, over what period of time? So it took me two months to write One of Us is Lying, and then it took me two months to revise it. And that was before I, you know, got an agent and got an editor, and then obviously there was lots more revising to do. Um, so I'm a pretty fast drafter, you know, getting the story out. Yeah. But um, with this book I'm working on now, it's taken me longer than that. So it kind of depends. And did you change anything in your life to make room for, for this project? Um, it was probably cutting out lots of other hobbies. So I don't, and again, like as a solo parent, you know, I'm sort of like home at night anyway, but, um, I don't read as much as I used to don't check in with friends as much as I'd like. And, uh, yeah, I don't watch television at all, except for game of Thrones. That is the only thing I make time for. Do you get any inspiration out of that? Uh, you know, I'm not really a fantasy writer, but I do love the character development there. That's what's I think keeps pulling me in. And I'm just so interested to see what these people are going to do next. Hmm. And what is your favorite part of your new life as a writer? Um, I love connecting with readers. Like it's sort of amazing to me how well this book has been received and how much people love it. You know, not everybody. There's certainly plenty of people who don't like it. But um, but the majority of people who have read it have positive things to say. And um, and they're really passionate about it. You know, like people have gotten really attached to the characters. You know, they email me with questions. They want to know more about them. They want to know if there's going to be a sequel. And that's really gratifying. And this kind of feedback doesn't happen in your regular job? <laughs> not nobody ever you know says i'm just dying to know if you're going to do a sequel to that campaign because it was the best campaign i've ever seen in my life that never happens <laughs> yeah I, i i fully agree same same happens to me not yeah. uh, i must admit that although the book is without a doubt the page turner at least so far i haven't finished reading it yet mm. uh, but what i can say so far is that the story of the book is pretty complex um, how do you manage to keep track of the story yourself yeah i use um kind of a excel spreadsheet outline thing so um and and that was new for me normally when i draft i just try to get it all out but the story was so complicated i started outlining it 
and I'd say, okay, well, this is like the big plot point that needs mm-hmm. to happen. And here's the order they need to happen in. And here's the character development that needs to happen. And oh yeah, here's like clues or red herrings or things that should go. And then I would sort of move them around where it made sense. And then sometimes, you know, I would go back and add things after because I realized it needed something. Mm-hmm. So it was a lot of a lot of outlining. So you talk about red herrings. Uh, so you tried to get me on the wrong. That's path. right. Okay, so that's I'm right. Trying to throw uh, something in there that makes you think that mm-hmm. it's important, but it's actually not important. I'd be very careful. <laughs> <laughs> Each of your char- characters has totally different and unique personality. Uh, I wonder how did you create your characters? Were you thinking about people you know while writing uh, or were you just picking specific characteristics from people you know to create new personalities? Yeah, they just um, they definitely sprung up um, almost entirely from imagination. I mean, some of their names came from people I know. In fact, one of them came from uh, someone who works in this office. Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> I know who. Because <laughs> I like her name and I took it. Um, but no, for the most part, they, I, I just made them up. And, um, what I did was I would do these character worksheets, you know, so I would write down like all sorts of things about them, like what they like to eat and what they like to, you know, wear and watch television. And most of it didn't make it into the book, but it helped me know who they were. And then I had playlists for them also, like different songs that sort of set the mood for who they were. And I would listen to that when I was writing them to help me get in the right headspace. Because mm. it's hard to write for people, you know, with a distinct voice and make yeah, yeah. sure that they don't all sound the same. I find this very interesting that you yeah. decided to write a book in the first person from each character's perspective. I don't remember many books that use this stylistic device. Especially a mystery. Yeah. <laughs> Turns yeah. out it's very hard. Yeah, yeah, but it's, it's, it's great because you get really much into these characters yourself. Uh, usually, book is written either from you know one individual perspective, yeah. and then you know you feel very uh, you know comfortable with, with this particular individual. But here, you you know you you as a reader, you have to change. You do. Your mind it's a lot of head time. jumping, yeah, yeah. and and the first person does put you very close, mm-hmm. you know, inside their heads. So, yeah. was your marketing background in any way important for your creative writing process? Um, not so much for the creative part, but it has been really helpful um, in, in the launch of the book. Um, you know, I'm fortunate to have a publisher who's really supportive of the book and has done wonderful marketing. But authors today still, especially in the young adult market, have to do a lot of their own marketing or you just, you know, you sort of expected to have a social media presence. And there are things that you'll want to do for yourself that your publisher isn't able to do. So it was hugely helpful to have a marketing background. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And let's talk a little bit about your publisher. It was uh, published by uh, Delacorte. Yeah. Um, and I wonder why you have chosen this particular publishing house over others uh, and whether you even have considered to go maybe even the indie way by publishing it on your own. I didn't. I never wanted to self-publish. Um, I think that's a very you know viable path, um, but it wasn't for me. And, and partly it was because I did not want to do all the heavy lifting of getting my book out mm-hmm. into the world. 
you know, publishers can do an amazing job of getting your book in the hands of the right people early on to help build buzz and interest. And so that was what I wanted. I also wanted a professional editor because I knew, you know, that I felt like the book was good, but I knew it could be better. And um, my editor just took it to a whole new level. Um, but the way it kind of works is, you know, my agent will take the book out to, and the way she did it was to a group of editors who she thought would be a good fit for the book that she had relationships with. So I didn't know any of them. Um, and as it turned out, the editor who who ultimately bought the book, she made what's known as a preempt offer, which she liked the book so much, you know, she wanted to take it off the table and make sure none of the other editors had a chance to offer. So, you know, she um, made a really great, uh, great connection with us to do that. And so we, um, we signed with her and it was a great decision. And uh, with we, you mean your agent? My agent and I, and yeah. She's like, you know, She's there with me every step of the way. She's a vital connection mm -hmm. to the editorial side. How, how did you find her? Um, you have to do what's called um, query agents. So that usually takes the form of a letter that mm -hmm. you send them via email or their website that describes your book. Sometimes they want a sample chapter. Sometimes they don't. Um, but you send it off to them and, you know, 99 times out of 100, you never hear back <laughs> or you get a really fast rejection. And um, but if they're interested, they'll ask you to send the whole book. And if they like the book, they'll offer you representation. And that means they're going to try to sell the book on your behalf. And that's pretty much how it works here in the U.S. There are some smaller publishing houses that take submissions directly from authors. But again, I was looking to be more traditionally published. And so I wanted to have an agent. Mm -hmm. And and why traditionally published? Same same reasons uh, in terms of marketing and editorial support. Mm -hmm. So you didn't want to put this work on your uh, already big pile of right. Publishing. I mean, there is a lot, a lot that goes into producing a quality book. I can um, imagine it takes a, a lot of really smart people to to produce. Mm -hmm. um, and I know people have done a great job on their own. I just didn't think I had the bandwidth or really the interest to take mm -hmm. on some parts of that. So, so have you been involved at all in the marketing strategy for your book? Yeah, yeah. They, um, in fact, um, both Delacorte and my UK publisher, Penguin, has been really proactive about promoting the book. And so they bring me in early and tell me what their strategy is. They look for input. And then, um, you know, wherever it makes sense, they'll, they'll actually have me either go to conferences or they'll have me write blog posts or be part of an interview. So, you know, they've, they've been um, really helpful in getting the word out. Mm -hmm. The book is actually very successful, right? For the 10th week uh, now, it is among the New York Times bestseller list, right? Yes, it has been on the list for 10 weeks and it is currently number two. But there's a new list coming out in probably like an hour. So we'll see what happens with that one. <laughs> and it's also been um, on the bestseller list in the UK and in Ireland. Wow. Good. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Um Without necessarily providing concrete numbers, but what does this mean from, from, well, like a revenue marketing standpoint? Is it, <laughs> will you retire early? <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting. Publishing is an interesting field where you don't necessarily know what you're expected to sell or what your publisher hopes that you will sell. Um, and some people don't even know what they're selling. You know, I fortunately have a 
publisher that's really, um, you know, communicative about that. Um, but publishing is, is interesting. You know, you, you get an advance for your work, um, and then you actually have to earn out that advance before you see royalties. So it's kind of a long process um, before you get to a point where even if your book's doing very well, you might think, okay, this could be a full-time thing. <laughs> okay. So uh, you do need uh, some more books. Yeah, I need some more books. Yeah, I think I need some more books. <laughs> Is it true that uh, ebook sales have already outpaced traditional book sales or will soon in the US? So I don't really know the statistics, you know, as an industry. I can tell you, though, that for my book, which just came out, granted, but the it's like 80% hardcover right now oh. and only about 10% ebook and okay. then like another 10% audiobook. So mm. I'm sure that will even out over time, but I think for new books, um, the, the print hardcovers are, are actually still doing mm. pretty well. I, I think I, I've heard a different... Uh different numbers from in, independent publishers. Maybe yeah. That's, that's, that's yeah. probably where... where I mean, they have I no buy advantage. a lot of e-books because yeah. I like the convenience mm -hmm. of being able to take them with me. Yeah. So, um, Have you experienced any geographical differences uh, in terms of statistics? Like your, your book is being, has been released in, in Spanish, Dutch, yeah, Swedish, and uh, But Britain. really, the only place I have any data is the UK and the US because it's been out a while there. Um, and those are both, they're, they're actually both doing you know, really well and, and, um, and solid. But the other markets, it's just kind of too soon to tell. Which markets are following? It is, <clears throat> it's out in the Netherlands and Sweden and Spain. And then there are 22 territories total in addition wow. to the U.S. where it's being published. So it's going to roll out throughout 2018, you know, throughout the end of this year and next year in places like Germany and France and Italy. And So I can get the German version too soon. You can. You can get it in <laughs> spring 2018. <laughs> Great. Um, do you think that the shift... Uh, to electronic reading in the publishing industry and, and maybe even perhaps to subscription at some mm -hmm. point in the future will have any influence in your creative process of writing or do you expect will have in the future as the reading behavior might change with that? I don't know. You know, one thing I've seen that's sort of interesting um, is sometimes authors in particular, maybe if they have a series, you know, where people really love the series and the character, mm -hmm. but it's it's over, they might do like a little novella or a little small ebook, just um, continuing the story a bit. And it's really easy to do that, I think, in electronic format. You wouldn't make that investment on a print run for a small novella or a short story. But it's a great way to extend your series for people who really love it, but not putting that whole big commitment of a print run behind it. So I think it gives you more flexibility to tell your story in a different way. Mm -hmm. Are there any key learnings from the entire book writing and publishing process that may make it easier for you to write your next book or even might make your next one an even bigger success, you think? Um, I think the biggest takeaway that I had just generally in this whole process is um, how important it is to find your writing people, you know, um, because even though writing is a very solitary um, activity, 
it doesn't go well unless you are constantly bouncing ideas off of people and people are reading your work and reacting to your work even before you get it to your agent or your editor. It's like sometimes you just need to brainstorm things and um, finding other writers or people in your life, you know, who are willing to play that role and help you through like thorny plot problems or, you know, you've got writer's block that helps you keep things moving. And I think that's really why I never pursued it when I was younger was because I didn't have that kind of writing community. Mm -hmm. Can you explain a little bit more this community? Is it an online community it to is, find somewhere? For me, it's mostly virtual. Mm -hmm. I met most of my critique partners on social media, mm -hmm. um, mostly on Twitter. And I just joined... Um, Uh, because I had heard it was a good place for writers to be. And then I sort of bumbled around there for a while, not knowing what to do. And it's interesting. You do eventually connect with the right people. And um, now it's a very, I'd say, a really useful place um, for me to connect with other writers. Um, and I've met some of them in person. But for the most part, yeah, we do it all on, on chat and, uh, and text and email. Are there experiences that you've made with the book that might be useful for your regular marketing job as well? Hmm. Oh, it's totally different. It is world. totally different. Um, but I think, you know, there's, there's certainly the, um, the aspect of just kind of being flexible. Um, you know, you think sometimes that, uh, that if you get to pursue your creative dreams, it's, it's going to be, uh, all, all simple because you're in charge and, you know, you get to be creative and it's wonderful, but there's still the same kind of, you know, you, you've got to be flexible and sometimes things change and, and sometimes you just got to roll with it. And so just kind of recognizing, I think that there's always that balance mm -hmm. gives you even more patience, you know, with your day job. Okay. And, um, Is there, I asked for some advice for uh, marketing people. Is there also some advice that you can give to those who consider to write their own first book or already in the process of writing one? You know, it, I would say that it really is a process. I mean, a lot of people think they're going to sit down and write a book and their first book is going to sell. That almost never happens. I mean, if you had told me when I started that I was going to have to write three books before I got a book deal, if my goal was a book deal, I might have been like, Ugh, forget it. It's too many books. <laughs> But it really does take a lot of practice um, to get good at the craft, you know, good enough that you can get past the gatekeepers if you if that's the route you want to take. So um, so just kind of be prepared to dig in for the long haul. You know, you really have to love the process to put in the hours it takes to get you to the point where you're good enough to um, to be able to work with an agent. Do you think you will get back to your first two books at some point and try it again or rewrite the story? Or Maybe the second one. The first one is unsalvageable. <laughs> <laughs> the second one had some, um, it has potential. Mm -hmm. They both have good characters, though. And I will admit that for the book I'm working on now, I plucked somebody out of that first book and reimagined him. And now he lives on in the new book. So I already get the feeling that uh, there's something else that we can expect from you? What is it? Yes. Um, my my contract with Delacorte is for a two-book deal. So I'm working on my second book for them right now. Mm -hmm. And I think that will be coming out in fall 2018. Is it also a young adult? Yes, yeah, it's young adult suspense slash mystery vein. So Good. But not a sequel. And if, you're, if our listeners want to buy the book and are eager to support you as an author as much as possible... 
where's the best place to buy or doesn't make any difference for you? Yeah, I mean, really, wherever it's um, convenient for the reader. I know Amazon's convenient for a lot of people, um, but it's available internationally at Book Depository and Books A Million and lots of places like that. So I'm just happy if people are interested in it and check it out. Where can we find uh, you online? So um, on Twitter, I am at at writerkmc and the same for Instagram. And then my website is karenmcmanus.com. Thank you very much for your time and insights, Karen. Thanks for having me. All the best for both of your talks. Thanks so much. <laughs> Creative crew, please prepare for landing. Thank you for listening to Creative FM. Please keep your seatbelts fastened while we taxi to the gates. Feel free to leave your feedback under creative.fm, twitter.com forward slash Gabrovich, or simply via rating on iTunes or the podcast app of your choice.